For the past two weeks, I have received some feedback from my youngest son, Elijah, after my sermon. Last week, he told me, Mom, you have to stop saying the word radical so many times. As I reflected on this, I realized I haven't defined what I mean by radical and that for many of you, the word radical doesn't have a positive connotation. We use the word radical to define something that is at the far end of a spectrum, maybe an extremist. Radical is this adjective that is used by many in this world to describe people who have done destructive and harmful things. And so I wanna go ahead and name that that is not at all what I mean by the word radical. I use the word radical because I believe Jesus is calling us to do something that is a change from the ordinary. It is the adjective I might use to sum up Paul's words that we need to be in the world, but not of the world. I believe that we pursue, when we pursue a life following Jesus, this in and of itself is radical. And when you and I call ourselves Christians, this is a radical call. I believe that the goal and perspective of Christians in life is different and not in the ordinary. It results in a different way of understanding knowledge and what we need to know, radical knowledge that surpasses all knowledge, the knowledge of the love of God. It also means that our purpose and perspective in our lives is different, that we've been given this radical calling to bear with one another in love. And today, I'm sorry, Elijah, today we have been called to radically talk, to radically speak in ways that are different. To help us with that, we will continue reading in our letter to the Ephesians, chapter four. Let's pray before we read. Gracious and loving God, as we focus today on the ways that we speak, especially now, may the words that we hear, may they be your words. May the words that are spoken be your words. And may the word be implanted within us that your spirit might lead us to speak truth into our world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Our passage today begins with the phrase to put away all falsehood. It's like the author is telling us, okay, y'all, I want you to take off your masks, put your bravado and your ego aside. It's about to get real. And then right after that, it reads, speak truth to our neighbors. I have heard this phrase used in church circles. I have used this phrase, especially when it sounds like this, speak the truth in love. That verse is actually just a couple of verses before our passage today in verse 15. I have used it and I have interpreted it to mean that as long as you are speaking something that is true and right, you can say it to someone else as long as you do it in a loving way, which sometimes can mean you can say things and you just make sure to say it in a sweet voice or, or add honey or darling at the end of it. Truth then, defined in this way, means something that each of us thinks is true. I'm just not sure about that. Truth there seems to mean something that each individual gets to decide. It's really subjective. My definition of truth is different than yours. For example, my boys think that playing video games, it is true that it will help you improve your eye-hand coordination. But you see, my truth is that eye-hand coordination is best discovered by using something just like a good old baseball. When I get my hair done, I want my husband to tell me truthfully how it looks, but not truth that will make me feel bad about myself. The neoclassical philosophers Aristotle and Plato, they defined truth as wandering that is divine. You see, in the ancient world, the definition of truth could not be separated from the definition of God. In the postmodern world, truth has become something we define apart from God. When the word truth is used in the New Testament, though, we need to know that it is not used as something that individuals get to own or define. Each time the word truth is used, it is used in light of God. Truth is referred to as the way of God. It is used as the good news. Truth is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Truth reveals, is revealed when the light of Jesus shines on it. In short, according to the Bible, truth is Jesus. Jesus said so himself. He said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so let's read that passage again. Speak truth to our neighbors. Speak Jesus to our neighbors. When we speak with others, we need to sound like Jesus. If we want to know how to do this, friends, we need to make sure we know how Jesus spoke. And this is a challenge for all of us to return to the Gospels, to read how Jesus spoke with one another. Now, if you haven't ever read through one of the Gospels, I want to encourage you to do so. 
The Gospel of Mark is a great place to start. It's the shortest one, and it's also the oldest one. You see, as we begin to read how Jesus spoke to people as an everyday person to everyday people, we see how these moral platitudes that are in a letter like ours today, how they are lived out in real life by the king of the world. In verse 29 of our passage, we read, Be angry, but do not sin. In the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus enter the temple on a Sabbath day. He knows that there are some religious leaders that have gathered there to try to catch him doing something against the law. We are told that gathered in the temple at the same time is a man with a withered or crippled hand. The text tells us that Jesus looks around at these religious leaders with anger. Consider what Jesus could have said in this moment of legitimate anger at their legalism, at their judgment. Why are you all so judgy? You should be ashamed of yourselves. No one is perfect. Well, actually, I am. Jesus, even though angry in that moment, he chooses to offer words of healing to the man, not words of defense to those religious leaders out to get him. We must speak like Jesus. And this sometimes means not engaging with the opponent, even if we know that they need to be corrected of their wrongdoing. This is radical speech. In verse 29, our text says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building others up. In Mark 2, Jesus and his disciples are inside a very, very crowded home and Jesus is teaching. And suddenly in the midst of his teaching, the roof above him begins to shake a little bit. And then suddenly a piece of the roof is removed. And there are some men that lower a man on a mat who is paralyzed right down there before Jesus's feet. And consider in that moment what Jesus could have said to this very unexpected interruption. He could have said, how disrespectful of you. Can't you see I'm in the middle of something important? And how do you think you made the owner of this house feel? Look at the mess that you have made. What, did you think that your friend was more important than all of these here? No. In that moment, Jesus sees this extreme faith of these friends desperate to get their friend before him. And Jesus looks up and says, son, your sins are forgiven. We must speak like Jesus, choosing words that will lift others up rather than tear them down. Radical speech. At the end of the verse 29, there is this phrase that says, so that. Whenever you see a so that in scripture, it's a clue that the author is getting ready to tell you the why behind what they have just asked you to do. The author has just told us that we need to not let evil talk come out of our mouths. And now it is going to tell us the why. And it says, so that you might offer grace to those who hear. The words that we speak have the power 
to offer grace to those that hear them. The same grace that you and I have received from Jesus. This is a way of speaking that focuses on the other, not on the self. This is the way of speaking that we do in a loving, healthy community. In light of our passage, if we put away falsehood, if we get real with one another, we realize that we are often not using our words to offer grace to others. We are often not speaking Jesus to others. Our words are really more me-focused because who is going to make sure that I am safe better than me and my words? It appears from the letter that the way the Ephesians have been talking to each other needs some improvement. It says that they are slandering one another. The word that's used there in the Greek is blaspheme, meaning that with their words, they are literally injuring or hurting each other's reputation. Friends, this type of talk, it only breeds division and distrust. And remember that a huge and central focus of all these letters in the New Testament is how to keep these young early churches unified. A community where people do not trust that others have their back, both in deed and word, this is going to be a struggle for these communities to be united. And this is a relevant challenge for all of us today. I know that in my life, when I say hurtful things, it is to protect myself or to make myself feel better. When I read something on social media or in the news that makes me feel personally attacked, I begin to lose trust in that person or in that system. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about how these feelings are rooted in a false assumption. He says, from time immemorial, people have lived by the principle that self-preservation is the first law of life. But this is a false assumption. I would say that other preservation is the first law of life. It is the first law of precisely because we cannot preserve self without being concerned about preserving other selves. I cannot reach fulfillment without thou. The self cannot be self without other selves. Self-concern without other concern is like a tributary that has no outward flow to the ocean, stagnant, still, and stale. It lacks both life and freshness. Friends, in order for there to be more unity in our world, we need to speak in ways that consider the listener before we open our mouths. We need to intentionally consider how might my words offer grace to others. Following Jesus' example, this might mean we say nothing, even when we are really angry. It might mean we only speak to build others up. This, friends, is speaking the truth in love. This, friends, is radical speech. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.